although I've loved being a, a state senator and a state representative, an attorney general, a lieutenant governor, the CEO of two nonprofits, to me, the most meaningful job I've ever had is the one I have now. Why? Because I'm participating in educating and training, not just lawyers, but lawyer leaders. Welcome to a conversation with John Philpin. Each week, John cuts through the noise and fills your ears with interviews, stories, and most importantly, clarity. Clarity in our ever-changing and shifting world to put people first. Over to you, John. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you are on this planet of ours. beauty of podcasts is that there are no rules. And to demonstrate that, let me introduce you to the latest People First podcast, where you won't hear me at all. My friend, colleague, and occasional co-host Stuart Robbins took the reins recently and caught up with Lee Fisher, the dean of the Cleveland Marshall College of Law. If you're from Ohio or the surrounding states, you will likely know Lee's name. If you follow law or politics, you might well know Lee's name. But, just in case neither of those apply to you, let me help. The snippet from the podcast that opens the show is just the start. We were delighted that Lee made the time to talk with Stuart, because it is clear that he's a very busy man. And it looks like he's about to get busier. On February the 13th, Lee and his wife Peggy will receive the Richard W. Pogue Award for Excellence in Community Leadership and Engagement at Rock the Foundation an event delivered courtesy of the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Foundation. Why? Because of their clear leadership in business, politics, law, and community service. By the way, no need to look up the event. I posted a link for you in the show notes. Not only that, but while Lee has been at the helm of Cleveland Marshall, the college has had the nation's second highest increase in national rankings, all the while creating innovative leadership education programs, strengthening community and alumni ties, and increasing commitment to justice reform. Anyway, that's enough from me. My thanks to Lee for making the time. Take it away, Stuart. Then I have the very good fortune of speaking with Lee Fisher, who, if you're in Ohio, you know the name. Um, I would say that back from his you know, time as attorney general and later lieutenant governor, also as a CEO for some remarkable organizations, the Center for Families and Children, and then CEOs for Cities, I, some events I attended and were, they're remarkable events, real collaborative best practice sharing events, um, really like that organization. And now uh, Lee's the dean of the CSU Marshall College of School of Law and Welcome, Lee. And Thank you. I guess my first question, uh, well, first of all, I'll follow Rachel Maddow's good journalism etiquette and say, did I get anything wrong? Uh, please correct me if, if so. You got it all right, and there are no corrections. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Well, I've done my homework. Although, as you know, I've, I've known you since college, so I didn't have to do much homework in that regard. <laughs> to give our listeners some background, because I don't think any of our listeners it's unlikely that they are lawyers, and therefore they probably do not know 
what a, a dean in a college of law does on a daily basis, not your regular day. We haven't had regular days since February, any sure. of us, but in a normal construct, what, what would a day in the life of a college dean look like? Well, basically, I'm the CEO uh, of a uh, $12 million enterprise known as a law school. Mm -hmm. uh, and we educate and train uh, women and men of all ages, although primarily, but not exclusively, those who have come right from college to law school. Uh, and it's e either a three-year full-time program or a four-year part-time program. Uh, they graduate with the Juris Doctor degree known as the JD. Mm -hmm. And then if they want to practice law, they pass a bar exam in the state that they want to practice. Uh, in our case, most of our graduates decide to stay in Ohio. In fact, most decide to stay in the Cleveland area. So they take the Ohio bar exam. Uh, and they take that exam normally in July. But this year, the rules changed. Uh, mm -hmm. And instead of it being in July, it was in October. And it was online as opposed to in person. But the and bottom I under, line is that I understand from Max that the online examinations overall leave something to be desired. That's true. They're still working it out. Still working uh, it out. Understandably. That's exactly right. We have uh, 450 law students. We have uh, 30 faculty and 30 staff and about 100 adjunct faculty. Adjunct faculty are lawyers who actually practice and then actually teach courses uh, primarily during the evening. Not all law schools have both a part-time and a full-time program, but we do. And we think that's important because so many uh, of our graduates would not have been able to go to law school if they, had, if, they, if they hadn't been able to work at the same time. Well, I think it's a great model. I mean, actually, my master's degree was a remote part-time because I was working full-time. That is important, I think. And I was also adjunct faculty at an MBA program uh, in San Francisco, the Holt International MBA program. Remarkable, intensive. They do their entire MBA in 13 months. Uh, so they, oh, and it is, it is a stunning collection of people all around the country. Um, and I, I remember one particular case where they were having a very difficult time understanding each other, the subgroup that I was working for in that cohort. Um, and I had to remind them that they should not feel embarrassed through this difficulty in communication because I've worked with executive teams, all of whom were white, all of whom spoke English, who could not communicate with each other at all. You know, so even that was a learning experience that they should feel like, you know, they're getting something from this. It's not a barrier. It's a it's an experience. And and uh, so I can appreciate what even being an adjunct faculty is. I know that when it came time to grade their papers, we worked hard. <laughs> there were <laughs> there were a lot of papers that had to be graded in a very short amount of time. We do that, and we teach both online and in person, and we teach hybrid. Now that we're in coronavirus, we do it. We do it all different ways. So, you do you still have um, classes going on now? Uh, about eighty percent of our classes since March of two thousand twenty have been online. About twenty percent are hybrid, meaning mm -hmm. that the faculty member has students in front of him or her, but there are students who opt out and decide to do it online, which means that. He's got to be teaching via Zoom at the same time he's teaching students right in front of him or her. 
what has the experience been like for the students and what has the experience been like for the faculty who have had to suddenly shift gears? I think that at first the transition was much more difficult for the faculty uh, because uh, of our 30 faculty, I would say at least 20 uh, are over the age of 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and therefore their technological prowess leaves something to be desired. Uh, and most of them had never taught online. Uh, for them to have been able to pivot in about 30 days was truly extraordinary. But people do extraordinary things when they have to do extraordinary things. When they things. have to do it, that's, that's right. Exactly, and that's exactly what happened here. And so even those who are skeptical and even those who were reluctant ended up doing, I thought, a very good job. Now, in terms of our students, obviously their technological prowess is very, very high. However, for them, the difficulty has not so much been the technological side, it's been the isolation right. uh, from, their, from their fellow classmates. And particularly for our first year students, imagine law school is three, four, five, six times harder than undergraduate school. Imagine then for, for starting law school online, it makes it even harder. Uh, And so uh, I think the biggest concern we've had for our students uh, has not been the technology, it's been their well-being, their Mm -hmm. mental health and their physical health, but primarily their mental health. And I think that's probably true, not just of students. I would expect that most companies um, are going through a very similar awareness raising when it comes to the mental health of their employees. My ex-wife, Diana, whom you know, joked early on that I should write a book about living an isolated life because I am so used to it as a writer. And so it has not been as difficult to transition for me, but there's something in a nuanced way very different about mandated isolation versus isolation by choice. That makes perfect sense to me. It will be some time that the impact of this, whenever we return to a, what is the new normal, understand how these many, many months, almost an entire year of isolation has impacted us, changed us in a way, in ways that are probably positive. I think people have mm-hmm. learned a lot about themselves. I think I know a lot of couples who have grown closer simply because they're so happy to have someone else with them through all of this. Um, yes. I also know some people who's, who say that they have lost friends not through any conflict, but I have a friend who works 10, 12 hours a day remotely from home. So she was able to transfer her job, but it's exponentially more difficult for her. She's on, a de- on some, one device or another for 12 hours a day. The last thing that she wants to do at six or seven o'clock is get back on one of those devices to say hello to friends And that was our only way of communicating. So we really haven't had any contact in quite some time. So it does impact friendship and that'll have to get kickstarted somehow. What's been interesting, as we found in some of our recent podcasts, is as businesses start thinking about what that new normal will look like, you know, the where and when we work is a, has has been dramatically altered, though not of any choice, as you've said. I don't think companies would have volunteered to experiment with an all-remote workforce ever. Even though it's it's hard to see it now, I do agree that long-term, 
we will look back at this experience. It's not the, the COVID part, because the COVID part, uh, there's really no silver lining. But right. with regard to the isolation experience, there is a silver lining. And that is, we've learned uh, more about ourselves. We've learned how to do things with small groups of people or sometimes alone. That's actually a coping skill that will help people succeed in life. Uh, if it were, however, a long-term venture, it would have very little silver lining. But the fact that it's short-term, meaning it'll be less than two years, I actually think five, 10 years from now, we'll say it was actually a good thing, both from a work standpoint and a social standpoint. And I think if if you can keep focused on those coping skills as part of your toolbox now as a young lawyer, for instance, right. um, that may help um, people survive this period because it wasn't wasted time. It wasn't something we all suffered through. It was an experience that will make you a better lawyer in the long run, make you a better engineer, make you a better project manager, you know, whatever your discipline might be. Um, but I do think that there's going to be, there's going to have to be some leadership to keep people focused on that. I teach a, a teach a course in leadership at our law school. And uh, I say, I, one of the things that I talk about is that there are many, many different definitions of leadership. Uh, but to me, two of the most important traits are adaptability and resilience. And those traits are being honed by this isolation. Uh, that That's we're learning to pivot true. and adapt. And we're also learning to rebound from uh, something that historically will be, uh, I think, a pandemic of both public health and a pandemic of racism that converged all at the same time. But we can be resilient if we learn from it. And I think most of our law students are being resilient uh, and bouncing back, even though they've had some difficult times. So let's pick generic law students who's having trouble getting back into the swing of things. Maybe they moved to Cleveland for the law school because so they're not living at home with their folks or nearby. Mm -hmm. They're already far away from their families and can't see them. And now they don't have really the capacity to see friends or socialize, network. Even Max mentioned something to me the other day, my son Max, I, I asked him what he thinks law school is going to be like in September. He said, I hope it's, I can go physically there. That's what I want to be able to do. And I right. said, so you really want the in-class experience? And he goes, no, I'll probably log in from the dorm to a nine o'clock in the morning class, even if I'm in Georgetown, right? That's not the point. It's that it's the networking. It's the running into the professor. He said, my three or four best conversations with professors happened accidentally because I ran into them after a class in the parking lot or at the store. And we had a, an amazing conversation that really actually meant something to me. And those moments aren't easily recreated in Zoom. I think that uh, if you measure work uh, in terms of efficiency, then doing things remotely actually is very efficient. But if you measure uh, if you measure the the work product in terms of creativity, I think that is what suffers when you're doing things remotely. For six years prior to becoming dean of the law school, I was the president and CEO of a national organization called CEOs for Cities, and we were basically a movement uh, that 
advocated for uh, cities. And the fact that most of the gross national product is produced in our cities is because people uh, have a need to connect with each other. Yes, And that connection is most effective and most meaningful and most fulfilling when it is physical. And when those connections happen, people and ideas collide. Uh, and we're having less of co- less collisions and therefore less creativity in this remote environment. I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, the organization that I had uh, called the CIO Collective was very much based on, you know, if you have one-on-one conversations with an executive, you can hear their opinions and their best practices, and they might offer something that's surprising. But if you put three or four of them in a room and get them talking to each other, something will emerge that couldn't possibly have emerged during those one-on-ones. And I can't imagine the challenge of recreating that in a virtual way because it really was, I mean, CIOs being a very lonely role within a company, they rarely get a chance to meet with somebody else who actually has that same role and understands them. And and so they can't wait. Um, to have a joint effort together like that. And those have been suspended. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a resurgence of those collaborative efforts. One of the things I wanted to find out from you is, has your perspective changed in the last four years regarding the rule of law? Well, I'll begin by saying to you that my perspective changes constantly, as it should. I've lived my life at the intersection of the public, private, nonprofit, and now the academic sectors, and I've learned a lot from each. And what I've learned is that the, one of the keys in life is having multiple perspectives yes. and evolving perspectives and not just one perspective. So that's point number one. Point number two is that uh, for me, the mission of our law school is in fact the rule of law, to understand that uh, you use th- that the purpose of getting a law degree is not just to learn law, it's to live justice and to use your knowledge of the law in a way to help shape change. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at every major change or virtually every major change in our country over the last several hundred years, virtually every single one relates to law. It relates to either a piece of legislation or it relates to a judicial opinion whether it's Brown versus Board of Education, what even if it's something we're talking about today, and that is impeachment Ooh. or the 25th Amendment and the U.S. Constitution, it all comes back to the rule of law. Uh, and so that's why I actually believe that although I've loved being a, a state senator and a state representative, an attorney general, a lieutenant governor, the CEO of two nonprofits, to me, the most meaningful job I've ever had is the one I have now. Why? Because I'm participating in educating and training, not just lawyers, but lawyer leaders, uh, who hopefully will be guardians of the rule of law and guardians of justice. And you'll be interested to know that uh, for a number of years, law school enrollment declined pretty significantly from about 2011 until about 2016 or 17. And then there are two reasons although they're anecdotal, admittedly, why law school enrollment has gone up. Dramatically, as I understand it. Yes. Well, the first is Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Uh, We call it the Trump bump. Uh, And that is people have seen Donald Trump uh, and seen him flout the rule of law. 
uh, and not really understand the rule of law. And they see how dangerous a leader can be who disregards the truth, who disregards the rule of law, and they want to do something about it. It's not good enough just to be able to win an argument at a cocktail party. They want to have the skills and the knowledge to actually do something about it. The second reason uh, law school enrollment has gone up is George Floyd. Uh, on May 25th, all of a sudden, we realized that uh, racial injustice was staring us in the face in ways that it hasn't stared us in the face since the civil rights movement of the 60s and the 70s. And another genera- uh, this new generation of leaders understands again that if they want to do anything about this and if they want to correct the injustices they're seeing, it's not enough just to be able to, to win an argument. You've got to have the skills and the knowledge to do so. And I can't think of any graduate degree, none, although I'm not objective, I admit, that can give you those skills uh, as well as a law degree. One of the things we teach in law school is to be able to uh, argue both sides of an argument. Correct. In other words, if you're a moot court or you're a moot mark trial, sometimes you're assigned a position that you actually disagree with. What a wonderful educational experience because we all live in this filter bubble where we all, uh, and, and confirmation bias, where we literally listen to the people who we agree with. Law school teaches you not just to listen to the people you agree with, but to listen to people you don't agree with. And that way you can actually be much more persuasive, a much more effective advocate if you can get inside the head of those you disagree with. Uh, And that's one of the skills you learn in law school. And there's no graduate degree I can think of. I can't think of an MBA, a medical degree, as important as those degrees are that teach you that skill. And it's interesting to your earlier point around multiple perspectives. The only way to do that is listening. You know, you, yes. if you wear earmuffs, being aware of multiple perspectives is lost. Stephen um, Covey, in his book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, talks about one habit in particular that I think is the most important habit, and that is seek first to understand and only then to be understood. But uh, most uh, divorces, most wars, uh, most problems uh, occur when one party's not listening to the other. Right. Uh, and that's a, a big piece of what happened uh, on the assault on democracy and the assault on the Capitol is that uh, those people uh, were not listening to the views of others. But having said that, in fairness, uh, many law-abiding people who were not there that day also were not listening as well. That middle area of independent thinking has almost become too difficult for people to bear these days. And I think, you know, like I was saying to John in in a recent podcast, as we were talking about the return to work, we could just go back. A lot of people will just go back. I need my restaurant job. I need my job at the property management firm. You know, I want to work in a project team together on something and feel that team spirit. That's good. But there are things that we have an opportunity to change for the better. But we have to make the effort to do that. Um, and I, as we move out of isolation, back into the social constructs that reinforce us, I think we ought to all join one club we were never, ever imagining being a member of. And attend those meetings and listen. As long as you're going to be out and about, you know, and I I can't say that as a lifelong Democrat, I would go to the Republican 
meetings here, but I should. There's something about mm -hmm. that that um, and have those conversations and and do the active listening that we say you know couples need to do with each other, um, because you might even if you don't hear anything that surprises you, you probably will because. You've never associated, I've never associated with those. But even the, today, the Comcast guy came, gun owner, strident Trump supporter, um, and the news was on. And we were watching them banging on the windows and throwing crutches at the police. And he said, no one will understand me and my family, but I find that disgusting, as I did. And we found our way to a conversation on policy. We disagreed with almost everything that how we felt. But in principle, as opposed to policy, he stayed for 45 minutes and we had a very engaging conversation that I don't think we would have had had that event not occurred and the news not been on the TV when he was coming to fix it. And so... Again, it's like it's that moment that I should keep as a talisman, you know, not just my, you know, logging on and echoing what my friends say on Facebook from, you know, the liberal quarters in, in California, because um, I know what they think. <laughs> I know how they feel. I know how upset they are. Um, whether I think they are right or wrong is independent of what I think in my post-isolation work, even in Danville, I owe to our reconstruction. I mean, it is almost a reconstruction that we have to go through as a country. Um, and that means doing business with and honoring people who you do not agree with. It's the only way to, to profit. You can't just sell to your friends. We all know this. It's a startup. that Startups learn this really early on. You sell to your five friends, and then what? You know, yeah. you're going to have to sell to some people you don't know, you don't like. That doesn't matter. It's a piece of business. And there's a business of the country, uh, much like the business of the law school. Um, I love the fact that you said something about the mental health of your students. I think that that's wise. Um, in the old days, I would say wise beyond your years, but we're both moving on. <laughs> we're both getting a little gray. Um, right. But I, I would say it is compelling. You know, if I had to pull out one comment from this conversation, it would be remembering to do that in addition to all the other things we have to do going forward. I agree. Uh, in the end, I'm as focused, if not more focused on the mental health and, and the well-being of our students as I am as other education. Because the truth of the matter is they're not going to learn unless they're healthy. Uh, and that's always been true, but it's more true than ever before. I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, listen, thank you for your time. This has been so much fun for me. Um, and Great. it's so nice to see you. It's been too long. Please give my regards to the family and to Peggy. I will. Um, and I will log on on Valentine's Eve because I think that's a wonderful award and uh, richly deserved. Thank you, Stuart. We look forward to you joining us next time. And if you found this interesting, please do share the podcast. All the links referenced today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, 
please do not hesitate in connecting directly with John Philpin. Stay safe and stay well.